Welcome to the Lighthouse Experiment, a Freedom Center Church podcast. Welcome back to the Lighthouse Experiment. Super stoked to have Jim Parkin, Roger Khan, and myself, Ashley Chandler. Welcome back. Roger Khan, welcome to the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming in. So today, what we're going to talk about is, so as Roger and I have, we're pretty close to the same era of military service. You were, what do you tell me, 89? 89 to 99, been my, my full 10 years of uh, yeah, running the whole gamut from um, lowest enlisted person in my unit as a as reservist, all the way to, uh, to commanding a radar unit by the time I got out. That's yep. fantastic. And I was in from ninety <coughs> to ninety six, but it's a different kind of. It was a different, uh, I guess, generation of military service because nothing too spectacular was going on. You know, there was obviously no social media and no mainstream media, and there's the know, good old days, <laughs> right? Still, no. see, yeah. And the subject we're about to talk about, you know, you're, right. you're mentioning too, with uh, you know suicide rates at this time of year and that generation and things like that. Um, even being a, a teacher, you see with kids that uh, social media has a lot to do with that. Where if that didn't exist, right. you know, we're always you're so sensitive. People are that way, you know, personality wise. Yeah. So sensitive to all the feedback, and if it's not the right feedback, man, it's just constant. They can't get away from it right. unless you make that conscious decision to get away from it. It's yeah, it's tough. Yeah. So explain what was it? What was your MOS or designator or whatever? Um, I guess the, to make a, a long story, you know, short, um, initially it was a, uh, I was a accounting specialist of all things. And oh, I was, wonderful. yeah, all well, the yeah. army for, for those who aren't aware, I guess everyone listening to this podcast probably does. It's uh, a mini, uh, community or society, any right. job you can find in the civilian world, you yeah. probably can find in the military somewhere. True. And, uh, so when I was graduating from, from high school, I was looking at it as well. Uh, I needed money, not a single mom, need money, pay for school. And if I was joining the military, what was the, the job I could do there that would transfer to a civilian career? So I chose accounting. Uh, so did that for about, oh, I don't know, six, eight months. Decided I hated it, sitting in a chair the entire time. <laughs> and so there's no way I could do that for a living. And honestly, it actually helped me um, decide what I want to do from a civilian standpoint, too, because there's no way I could be an accountant. That was just not a thing. Yeah. Sitting indoors, yeah. doing that all day. And so, yeah, so transferred to, to teaching. I was in a... Um, Essentially, 13 Bravo at the time, moving to field right. artillery. Uh, that's my commission was as a field artillery officer. I spent four years on active duty at Fort Sill. By the time I graduated from Eastern, got my commission. The whole thing, I guess, to make the get the long story short, spent what three years in reserves, two as a cadet, and then five on active duty. Desert Storm in there right. as enlisted. Yeah, and that was the Green and Gold program. No, it was ROTC. Okay, yeah, through three from Michigan. Yep. I was gotcha. a two-year scholarship winner in my last two years. Gotcha. Yeah. If it wasn't for that, probably wouldn't have graduated on time. So I was trying <laughs> to put myself through school. And, it's wonderful. Uh, yeah, the ROTC scholarship really helped me out towards the end. And it was such a different time because, I, like I said, that's the same time frame I'm in. And I just went in enlisted with no, you know, no even thought of trying to be an officer or anything like that. So it was kind of a time when it was hard. Promotions were hard to come by. Mm-hmm. You made it to E4 super quick. You know, I made 
corporal in no time, but after that, there was just nothing. So, and the MOS, I was a scout. That's what I went in for. You tell me MOS. MOS? Yeah. Military Occupational (laughs) Skills. It's your job. Okay. Okay. Your job. Or Yeah. So, that's what I, that was the intent. So, I get into active duty and straight away went to Korea. Got to Korea, started driving for an officer, a second lieutenant. (coughs) Stayed with him for the most of my career. Okay. Yep. Went back to Fort Lewis, Washington with him. And then with just kind of how things rolled with about nine months left, they needed someone to be the petroleum supply specialist in the motor pool. And I had basically crapped in someone's cornflakes, so that became my deal. <laughs> so. I think that was a time, too, and again, not to get on too many tangents when you're talking about, when you just mentioned of uh, promotions and things like that, and um, my time at Fort Sill, it was... Uh, for certain skills, like you mentioned like petroleum specialist, and for me as a mechanic and looking at it as we had so many terrific mechanics that were, say, a specialist. You know, they get to that E4 rank, and when they get to, you know, 12, 13, 14 years at least then, right. it was a matter of, well, they had to make a certain retention point. So they had to be promoted, and they had to be go through leadership. Plus, you had to take on leadership roles, yeah. or you no longer got to stay in the military. And I, the relationship piece there, and it was for certain skills, like a mechanic – are invaluable. You know, if you're deployed right. somewhere, if I'm right. in the middle of a desert in a combat zone, like for me, as you a highly mechanized, <laughs> yeah, you want your vehicles to roll. You want them to be able to move when they need to move, yes. fire when they need to fire, all that kind of stuff. And so mechanics are so essential. And we had so many that were uh, terrific mechanics, but maybe they're not a good leader. Maybe they don't want to lead. Maybe they don't right. want to do that. Right. Well, at 12 years, they're done. Whereas the Vietnam era, you know, and some of the earlier ones, man, you could have guys who are 20, 25, 30 years in, they were still specialists, yep. but they were terrific, like, mechanics or something like that. They made a career out of it, and the military just wasn't the same after that. And I don't know, maybe it contributes to what we're, we're talking about today, too. Right. Of uh, people who probably love putting the uniform on, you know, like I did. You know, you love waking up every morning, U.S. Army, going to save the free world, but maybe it was their job to go change the spark plugs or something like that, but they liked doing it. Right. And, uh, and they the military wouldn't let them. After right. a while, I was like, well, if you don't yeah. go the promotion route and start leading, we're not going to keep you. And that was, that was tough. I hate it was it. hard to hate those because those the promotion points would be maxed out. So there's no way you're going to touch it. You know, so. That's hard because some folks, I think, were, were made to do a job well for a long time. Right. You know, and that's, you know, I, I don't know. I, we, our whole team just went through and did the disc lately. And oh, okay. so the, there's just steady, incredible information type, you know, that just, I don't know, there's just. People are knit together for certain things, and not everybody's knit together to keep doing Chasing new things. After yeah. And, and yeah. Right. right. And you could get out and again go to go to school, and they could be you know like a certified mechanic or something along those lines. But there's a there's a difference, and there's a certainly a team, there's a yeah. environment, there's a part of a family. I mean, being in the military was again, I man, I wouldn't regret that for uh, for anything. I mean, it was such a great time period for me. I know it's a different experience for everybody, but. Yeah. Um, for those guys who just want to yeah, work on some vehicles but love putting a uniform on, like working out, like uh, being a part of a unit, even deploying sometimes. I mean, yeah, right. it, was, it was pretty sad when those guys had to get out. You see, they're, they're crushed. They're hurt. You know, it was, it was tough. Right. I hadn't even thought about that when I was thinking of this episode. I mm-hmm. didn't remember people being chaptered out mm-hmm. just because they got to that point. You know, we had, I can remember we had a guy that came and he was a old E6, but he had been in through Vietnam and stuff like that. And he came and became, I think, a supply sergeant for a while mm-hmm. in my last unit. But that was him. 
I was like, what you're describing is exactly that dude. He was so good at it, so good at like trading with other units and making stuff happen. Right. Cool. But it got to that point where, and he didn't even want to be. He didn't want Sergeant First Class. He didn't want that next one. He didn't want to do any more. He just was super happy with where he was, and it just got to the point where they were kind of like, sorry, buddy. You know. Right. Give us back the uniform, and you're out. Were you ready then when it was time for you to get out? Well, for me, it was just a conditional thing, like situation. Um, it's almost like if you have, I think we all do that at times where if my circumstances were different, here would be this life. If, yeah. But I, if yeah. my circumstances were like, I would like, but neither one of them are bad. Right. You know, for me, I was choosing a family, essentially. I had a, a, my wife and uh, my, currently my wife and my oldest daughter, who's 21, she was one and Liz was pregnant. My wife was pregnant with my second daughter. And I was about to go, as Jim just mentioned, to Korea on a hardship tour. Um, I was going to command a, a M109 uh, artillery unit over there. And I was about six months out from that. And I never had a father really myself around. And so it weighed on me. And if I go to Korea, I'd come back, at least the circumstance at the time, I'd come back and have a two-year-old that really wouldn't know me anymore. And a one-year-old I've never met, just through maybe pictures and on the right. phone or something like that. So if we were going to separate from the military and start a, a different career, I was just turned 30, so so young enough, and it's like now is the time. No, I loved it. I loved the military. I loved loved being an officer after spending time, you know, my first five, six years enlisted. And I just, it was, uh, it fit my personality really well, but it was, yeah, family came first. For me, I didn't want to deploy. I wanted to be a father that was around, and uh, my degree was in teaching. I knew if I got into that, I mean, it, it sits well with uh with a family environment. So yeah, very different than deploying for six yeah. months to a year. At well, a time. and you're definitely a phenomenal teacher so. and I've seen you in action with your family and your kids and you're a phenomenal dad. So it's well, just thank been you. Able, appreciate it. It's been cool to be, um, yeah, your wife Liz has just spoken so much encouragement in life over me since we first moved in this area in 2008. So it's, it's awesome. We're very yeah, she's grateful to have you guys. Yeah. yeah it's awesome I'm a fan. Yeah. A biased, but I'm a fan. <laughs> yeah. So how was that transition then, um, coming out and then getting into teaching? For me, I spent, it was, I didn't go right into teaching because it was hard to, the way it had to be substitute teaching and doing some things like that to get into the industry. And I was living in Oklahoma, we were at Fort Sill at the time. So to come back to Michigan area where Liz is, she has three sisters. We all lived around here. And uh, so to come back here, there's no way I could do that commanding a unit in Fort Sill, which I was, a Q37 radar unit, and actually come back and forth to Michigan to try to substitute teach. Right, it was impossible. Right, right. So we didn't want to live in Oklahoma. So what I did is I took a job in manufacturing and managed a first in Richmond, Indiana uh, for a year. Because I had a friend who got out a year and a half before me, and he was a human resources manager at uh, AMCAS Automotive, like a tier three supplier for yep. GM. Yeah. So we uh, we did. I did that for a year, managed a second shift essentially, and very depressed that whole year. Nothing wrong with it, man. It's an honorable profession. Right, making right. we made a small little chassis knuckle for a Grand Am, and a, I think it was a Ford F one fifty. I don't know some part, but it was a aluminum casting, is what it was. Okay. And nothing wrong with it. It was awesome. I love the people who work there, but I just needed. Again, I, my degree was in teaching. I was in the military. I needed to feel like I was doing something more, right. you know, with my my daily work life. And so, uh, so got a job with let's see, Guardian Glass would have been next. Bill Davidson moved to Michigan, glass manufacturing, um, was managing same thing, a second shift, you know, in a plant down by uh, Carlton, um, just south of like Livonia down in there. So anyway, so I was there for about a year and a half, and then decided, man, I. I just resigned, you know, took a leap of faith, said that <laughs> I can't awesome. keep doing this, you know, so cut my salary essentially in half 
to go back to teaching. And yeah, the Guardian Glass, like Palace Sports Entertainment, was Bill Davidson's secondary thing that he did. It was owning the Pistons and all that. Wow. And so there was a we had a box, you know, at the Palace for all his mm-hmm. concerts and Pistons games. Anything we wanted to do, we could do it. So the, the fringe benefits and the salary was awesome. But I knew if I stayed with that, um, I would, again, be divorced in five years. I was never home. I was gone seven days a week. It was manufacturing. It was yeah. numbers and, and production and, and employment numbers. And so yeah, it was a lot to that. And it was, you know, if I was single, same thing, different directions, different right, life. Right. It would have been awesome. If I was single, it would have been great. So I've been working it all the time, but all the benefits would have been great. But yeah, I was never home. So I just uh, yeah, resigned, started substitute teaching, and yeah, just got very fortunate that, that Goodrich picked me up. And uh, I couldn't ask for a better district. Yeah, so awesome. things worked out. That's 16 years there. That's cool. Yeah. It is. It's such a different, I think, because when I got out, I was ready to get out. It just came to the time, you know, from 90 to 96, and I was just ready. So ready that I didn't really prepare or do any of the steps they have to prepare you to be a civilian. You and I talked about that before, too. Yeah. So then there was that struggle. You know, it was, it yeah. was rough to all of a sudden, that crew of people that you lived with for all these years is just gone. You know, there wasn't Facebook or cell phones even, really. So there wasn't, there was no contact and it was just over. So for me, it was a, it was a huge struggle. I did the same thing, got a couple manufacturing jobs in Tacoma, Washington. That was terrible. Right. You know, I didn't, it was, it was a huge struggle. We ended up moving here. And I, I guess I realized that I was wired to be in service in whatever way, shape, or form. Right. I got back on a fire department, got on the fire department in Grand Lake. And it's just on call, but it was like instant. Right. You and I are very similar now. Same kind of thing. Doing something and nothing wrong with those jobs. They're very no. honorable professions, but it's, you just feel like I need to do something more. I need to be serving something. You right. I feel like I'm, yeah, doing something different each day. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, I agree. So, it's just, it's, so it's kind of to, to track over to these strange suicide rates and stuff like that. I don't know how it correlates but it was very interesting to me that kind of the age groups that come out of that era of military service are the highest numbers, you know, in Michigan, for sure. In Michigan, the numbers are uh, right around 170 people die by way of suicide annually. And it's like, well, here's what's weird, a little sidebar. 160 of those would be men and 10 are female. Wow. Which, I don't know, you could, like, before we started, Roger, you said we could analyze this all day long. Right. That's That's why even looking at any statistic, like you mentioned, if it's that era and the numbers, even if it's something along the lines of how many of those, as they got out, like you mentioned, like preparing yourself, have college degrees or have jobs that are fulfilling versus something that maybe was part-time and now they're... Uh, you know, looking back and they wish they had done something different when they got out and they wish they had you know, right. prepared themselves better versus maybe people now who are still younger in the whole Iraq, Afghanistan era from the last, you know, 15, 20 years that they're still younger. They're still that, 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 I don't know, employment age of, you know, their thirties and, and early forties, yeah. as opposed to, you know, getting up to that midlife crisis, I guess, age of 50 and 60, yeah. mm-hmm. which would be a little bit different. So yeah, I know they said, you look at the, the generation who was joining the military, even recruitment, um, we know the recruitment projections change all the time. Like if uh, if the military has plenty of volunteers, right. then the recruitment standards are very high. If they don't have a lot of volunteers, recruitment standards are very low. As far as even a high right. school diploma, they'll go right. through right. some areas where you don't even need a diploma to get in 
because they need people. Right. Whereas if they add a lot of people, now we even up the standard, not only diploma, but maybe there's a certain GPA and there's certain something right. else you would possibly need. So that may contribute to it too. You never know as far as a, a demographic of people like during that time frame. I don't even remember. It was 89 for me. I don't know what the standards were. I just know I right. needed uh, money for school and so joined. And that was that was it. Right. And I didn't really have anything else better to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Seems dumb to say, but that's the truth. Right. You know, we had moved. I graduated high school and we had moved to Colorado and I was very rapidly becoming a professional ski bum yeah. <laughs> where I would like deliver pizzas all day long yeah. and I'd ski all day long. And that was it. You know, and I can remember specifically my dad, like literally being like, bro, like college isn't going to be your deal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he barely barely checked out of high school intact so you know he kind of slid the brochures across you know but I think it's wonderful from that perspective to have the branches and the military there I mean obviously we we need it as a a resource for our nation you know that that's a very very important part of our security and, and everything but to be able to have something that young men and women to be able to jump into and pursue right. um, because we are designed for greatness right? and to be able to be at a point and not really know what the next step is and be able to jump into something and get training and have that mentorship and that guidance and, and build something in you that's better than what you were before. I think that's, that's incredible yeah, opportunity. Yeah. I mean, to in a lot of ways, you know, that was my college. That was the, yeah. Those years, you yeah. Know. Well, like you said, not everybody's designed to sit behind a desk. No, you know, and um, you know, and that took me a long time to figure out too, because I'm so grateful I was able to go to school. Um, but by the time I, every time I'd work a job for about a year, I, I get antsy. I'm like, what's wrong with me? I can't keep a job for. I mean, I could keep it, but I just get miserable, you know. And so it's just like, I really wanted to have that freedom to be home and with my family and stuff like that. And that's not a bad thing to be able to understand what you're knit together for, right. you know, so it's good. You know, it's, I think it's a military was, it was great for me. I enjoyed those years, but getting out was also the right thing. Yeah. You know, and that's sometimes okay. I second guess that and think, nah, I could have done, you know, I could have stayed in, been a lifer. Or, well, I think about that know. too. It's like, Oh, I only did accounting for so many years. I put all that time and investment into something. It's like, well, no, I, I I've taken a lot of it away, maybe not directly into what I thought I would, but I mean, I, I don't think that any time wasted. And I just realized I'm talking down your profession when I said I was going to be an accountant, and after six months, <laughs> screw that, I'm bailing. Look at you. No, I mean, but I mean, yeah, no, I started out as actually I started out as a ministry major with a business minor, and I did well enough in my accounting class, my prerequisites, that okay. my professor talked me into switching. Um, but originally I was, I didn't want to do family counseling cause I didn't want to get stuck in talking with people all day and not being able to like directly, like I, I felt like I'd be stuck in that too. Um, I wanted to be like a pastor. I want to go get my master's of divinity and do stuff like that. Very so nice. I mean, I could always still go do that, but yeah, I don't, sure. it's always been about people for me and being able to have that freedom to like, right. you know, I think we were, and you know, we're talking about the the piece here of why it's an analyzing it, whatever, you know, a suicide race and things like that, even that generation and not to get political or anything like that. But I, we know that if, if the government itself, you know, would, would take better care, I think of some of the older like veterans like me, again, I'm fairly healthy, so I don't need anything from the VA. I don't need anything from, um, I have great insurance through my job, things like that. But there's a lot that, that don't. And if you're really counting on a government organization to do that, 
we know what well, those who've been in the service who are listening to this understand how slow and, and inefficient the government is at doing anything, you know? Right. And, and I love this country. And it's just one yeah. of the things, it's, it's a large organization. Any large organization is going to have a tough time. Yeah. Right. And uh, the government happens to be a large organization that uh, you get, you know, civil, uh, civil workers who have a lot of job security, nothing wrong with that either, but it doesn't mean that they, you know, are working at a very fast pace. And well, there's a reason to... for that stereotype. Yeah. So anyway, all that together just means that those who are veterans of getting of age, this generation, we're talking 50s, some health issues. And if they can't get right away that health care that they need, that's going to lead to a lot of depression and things like that too. Right. And that may be why that, that age group is, is there where they need help. They need the government to feel like they're being taken care of. And maybe they're not, you right. know, and, and, or at least they feel like they're not. And that's a, I mean, that's a sad part. And I mean, we talk the talk a lot as a country, but don't necessarily do, you know, as a, as a federal government or even state government, the, the really things that are, that they, they need, you know, a lot right. of those, those vets need. And, um, and I was speaking just in general, because admittedly, you know, I got out, I don't, I'm not do a pension. I, I didn't do 20 years and I had like what 11, I guess, total would be my, um, DD 214, but it's all reserve time and, you know, active duty right. time together. And then I was done. I stopped, went into in civilian. That's it. So there's not a whole lot of things other than, I don't know, free apples be dinner, you know, for uh, uh, Veterans Day or something like that. Um, but, yeah, but some of those guys really need that stuff. And yeah. it's just not yeah. there. And I'll follow enough, you know, those things that, that, that probably leads to a lot of it as well. I would agree. Yeah. That's interesting. I was just going to ask you what, do you, what do you think it's like these days to be a veteran? You know, I mean, for me, looking at it now, I never really thought about it. Honestly, until coming to Freedom Center Church, I never really thought of myself. I mean, obviously, I know I'm a veteran, but I didn't really put a lot of stake in it. Um, but but then doing this ministry, you know, and really, I guess, paying so close attention, that things have changed, but I think there's still a lot of work to do. You know, there's just such a process, and there's so many veterans now. I read an interesting stat recently where... The, uh, now the sons and daughters of the men and women that were in the military and in, at 9-11, like just pre or just post 9-11, now their sons and daughters are enlisting. It's been that long. Wow. Of, uh, 18 years ago. Yeah. That's insane. So, yeah. One, one of the younger pastors um, at one of the kids' D teams said that they had, were discussing 9-11 and their kids were like, yeah, we read about that in our history books. And it's like, ugh. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> well, I'll talk. Well, I teach social and global issues for seniors, you know, so the subjects will change. But right now I'm in the middle of a unit on terrorism. You know, it's obviously a major subject. Oh, yeah. will be. I see the foreseeable yeah. future. But when you think about how to teach that and how to relate to 17, 18-year-olds now – I'll talk Afghanistan and Osama bin Laden and Al Qaeda and some of those things. Just the buildup of you know the United States and some of the things we've done in the in the past, like helping form Al Qaeda and the Afghanistan war in the '80s with the Soviets and all that kind of stuff. Clueless. Even when you start talking the 2000s, Osama or Saddam Hussein, clueless. It's amazing. Right. You're like, wow, it feels like just yesterday. Yeah. And right. it was uh, yeah for these kids, they were four, you know, five. So yeah. it's that's amazing. So kind of in closing. First off, thank you, Roger, for coming in. Appreciate it. You're very it. welcome. Um, you know, as we're coming up on Veterans Day, uh, I feel like it's always important to remind everybody to put that green light up mm-hmm. if you have one. Yep. A lot of us just have a green light on all the time. Um, 
And we have a couple extra laying around. So if you really want one, just you really message want us. One. You know, we'll get you hooked up. Or just go buy one from a Home Depot. Right. <laughs> you could do that too. And kind of what that does, if 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 you're listening and you don't know, is the Green Light Project or Green Light Event campaign is just because soldiers go to war and they're in camouflage for tactical purposes and they come home and they're in civilian clothes and kind of blend in with the rest of us. It's just a showing them that we see them and love them and praying for them. From my perspective, it's been neat to meet over the past three years or so now doing Lighthouse Experiment. It's been really neat to meet more and more veterans that I didn't realize were veterans. And, and a lot of the reason being that they're just living very awesome, successful, abundant lives. I mean, granted, we're in like a, a faith Christian community too. And I'm right. more specifically like with our church and stuff like that. But it's been really, really cool. I think some of the connotation before was just oh, a lot of vets are just always struggling. You know, and um, but it's been really, really encouraging to hear and see a lot of the real life. No, we're thriving, and um, actually, my military experience has just really pushed me forward in so many aspects of my life. So I think that's been really that phenomenal, cool. and for um, our listeners to hear that too. So right. whether it be a veteran that's struggling um, and just needs to know that it doesn't have to be as bad as it as it is, and that there is hope out there, or whatever the other you know side of it might be, that you know, just even from that, just testimony right. of your life and and others and stuff that that it can be really good, it can be really good. That is that. Right on. Thanks for listening. Remember, check us out on Instagram, Facebook. Peace. We'll catch you next time.